everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, episode 83, I What? Recorded January 23rd, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. This week we're going to talk about Apple's newest bid to take over the world of education, specifically textbooks and uh, public education through um, their new and amazing, revolutionary, beautiful, amazing, simple, what were all those words they always used, uh, new things. But uh, we'll get on to that a little bit. And and with me today, as always, is Mr. Sean Keibel. Hey, Sean. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here as usual. The official Mac lover of the pair. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that he will be representing uh, all you Mac users well. Uh, on that note, we did try to get a couple of... Um, uh, Mac-centric education folks. We wanted to get a couple of teachers. Uh, we, we tried a couple of times, but Apple, I think, released this on, uh, announced this on Thursday. It might have been Wednesday, so it was really short notice. We record on Mondays, and we just couldn't get anybody. So you just, you're stuck with just the two of us. Yeah, I'm sure we can give a well-rounded, objective rundown of that. Well, because you've always been really good at that at the past, where when Apple was concerned. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's who I am, objective <laughs> Apple lover. <laughs> well, one of the things I wanted to talk about is uh, one of the recent things. You know, uh, last week we uh, we had the whole uh, Black Wednesday thing, where where the world went. Uh, some of the internet sites—I don't say the world, but some internet sites—went dark in protest of SOPA on Wednesday, and then on Thursday, the Fed shut down Mega Upload. Um, which is ironic. We protested one thing, and then they did the same thing to another. But I think we can all agree Mega Upload was up to some fairly shady doings. Um, but uh, I, what I wanted to talk about is what we can learn from Mega Upload. Because, yeah, there was uh, you know pirated content up there, lots of television shows and movies and stuff like that. But there was also a lot of just regular, everyday people stuff up there where you know you might have been using it like a Dropbox or something like that. You're just a good place to keep stuff or to transfer stuff to other people. So one of the lessons I think we can learn from this, and there's an article in uh, PC World magazine, pcworld.com, that I'll link to in the show notes, where they talk about some of the things that, uh, some of the lessons that we can learn. And one of them, I think, is choosing wisely where you're going to put stuff. Often we look at things like... Um, What's the bandwidth limit? You know, how many downloads can we get? How much stuff we can put up there? But maybe we need to be looking at, you know, how likely is it this site is going to be shut down in this modern age of, of uh, rampant um, piracy uh, shutdowns and DMCA takedown notices and, and all that sort of stuff. Maybe now along with that list of what is it fast, is it good, and, you know, are there ads, we should be looking at um, is it likely to be shut down? So, you know, if you do a search for mybigfileuploadsites.com plus, uh, quick, name a movie, Sean. Back to uh, the Future. Born on the 4th of July. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and you find that there's 300 illegal copies of Born on the 4th of July on the website, then maybe that's not where you want to put your stuff because you might be some of the collateral damage. Yeah. Uh, I've always leaned toward the, the big boys when it comes to this kind of stuff. Uh, anytime that I feel like I, uh, I don't know, there's, you know, I have some investment in it. Like, you know, it could come back to bite me type of thing. Uh, I always try to stick with the big boys. So most of my stuff on the cloud is, uh, in three different places. I've got Dropbox. Uh, I have uh, Microsoft SkyDrive, which I know is not a lot of people use, but uh, pretty good service. And I don't think Microsoft's going anywhere anytime soon. And um, and Google, right? SkyDrive is awesome if you don't want to record uh, to store anything big. The maximum file size limit is twenty five megs, I think. Yeah, and that's uh, on SkyDrive is pretty much family photos, and it's just yet another copy of my family photos. You know those things that I, I couldn't replace. So. Um, uh, that's just one more place that I keep that stuff. I also keep those photos, uh, on Google. So, uh, as well as a couple of local copies. Right. Uh, so, so in this, yeah. you know, this is not something you're going to hear me say often on this show, but this might be one of those cases where you really do get what you pay for. You need to look at what the economic model is of a company. If they're, um, 
like Twitter, Twitter may be the exception of that. They're a company that's huge and been around for a long time and not making any money. But uh, if you look at something like that and you want to make it important to you, you need to make sure they have a, a business model that's sustainable and it's not just being run in some guy's basement and that's going to be shut down sometime. Right. I agree. So, you know, I don't have any great wisdom there, but uh, maybe it's just time to pay a little more attention. Maybe Mega Upload should be your uh, rallying cry. You know, instead of remember the Alamo, it's remember Mega Upload when you start <laughs> to, to seek new places. All right. Sounds good. Um, I guess I should jump in here with uh, with this next story, uh, Mark. And I know I've left some pretty good teasers in the show notes for you tonight, so uh figured I'd, I'd get you thinking uh, what I was going to bring. Uh, this one's just, uh, I don't know, I, it just was a weird day, and I figured I would share, so I'll just leave it at that. Uh, had to, uh, we're, uh, we launched today at one of our elementary schools a new uh, PBL, project-based learning um, test. And uh, PBL's big right now. It's, it's one of those big kind of catchphrases that's kind of sweeping across the nation. And uh, I, I've been looking through the media and there's all kinds of school districts that are, uh, you know, releasing these things about uh, their PBL program and their pilots and things like that. So uh, we, uh, we are doing one and uh, it happens to be on one of my campuses. So I've done a lot of the upfront legwork and getting all the technology out, uh, a lot of Apple devices. And, uh, we had a problem on Friday with some of those devices. I had to pull them back and reconfigure them and I didn't get them done until, uh, pretty late. It was four 30 on Friday when I finally finished everything up. And then this stuff still had to be delivered back to the campus. And at four 30 on Friday, I'm like, uh, uh-uh, I'm, I'm not about to load all this stuff up, drive it out to the campus unload it you know i would have been there till seven eight o'clock at night and at four thirty on friday you're the only one left anyway right oh yeah yeah i already was i was was the last one in the office so uh, i said you know what i'm just i'm gonna get up early on monday and come in early and load this stuff up and and run it out there before school starts and uh everything was going great woke up nice and early this morning and uh i was out the door at uh like I don't know, about maybe a little bit after six o'clock. And uh, usually I get to work uh, between 7.30 and 8. And I get there at 6.45. And, you know, I'm hurrying, you know, getting myself ready, get out the door and everything, make sure I'm out nice and early. Get to work, 6.45. Nobody else is there. So just like I left on Friday, I'm the only one there. It's still dark. And I realize that I have left uh, my campus keys and my door badge key. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so literally, I mean, the time it would have taken me to drive back to my house, get that and come back, uh, somebody would have been showing up by then. You know, it would have actually taken longer. So I, I had no choice but to just sit there and wait for somebody to show up, uh, which was about 30 minutes later and uh, finally got in. I, I you know. There is a, a good ending to the story. Is I, I got everything loaded up, although much more rushed than I wanted to be, and got it out to the campus and delivered, and they are learning by project. Which is interesting because I had exactly the opposite happen to me today. Ordinarily, I like to be out the door at 6.30 a.m. or before. This morning, I woke up at 6.45 and went, uh-oh, forgot to set the well, alarm. Wow, that so, is very unlike you. <laughs> yes. That's very late for me. In four years working with you, I don't, I can't recall one time that happening. Yeah. I'm, I'm generally early if, you know, on time is late for me. Uh, yeah. Well, that that's the big one because you're usually so early that when you are Mark late, uh, you're still early, you know, you're still, you know, 15, 30 minutes early. Right. Which having overslept a full hour this morning, I still got to work early. <laughs> earlier than okay. most people do yeah yeah so that's yeah that's pretty well how it plays out so maybe it did happen i just i don't ever recall you actually being late well that's because you were never on time so i could be there on time and 20 minutes later when you strolled in you'd think i was early i felt like it was my responsibility to the universe to offset that <laughs> right a little balance there that's <laughs> But to Sean's uh, credit, he always stayed late. We had two shifts. I was the morning shift. He was the late shift. I would get there early and leave on time. He would get there late and leave late. Yeah, yeah. We we always put our hours in. That's, oh, that's far more than. Yeah. yeah. 
definitely. Except today. Today, I took off, uh, you know, having gotten there late, I decided I'd leave early. Um, but no, I, I, I took a half a day off to go do some uh, business stuff for the network here, setting up uh, a couple of accounts and things like that. And I had one of the, you know, oddest uh, experience. I guess, I guess it happens to everybody. Uh, but I, I go to the, uh, you know, county tax office and I'm filling out a form and, and it's like, what's the name of the business? Element OP Productions. I'm sorry, what? Elements, OP product. What do you do there? Um, how do you explain that? I mean, you can't say podcast to the seventy-year-old woman behind the counter with the blue hair from the fifties, right? So, so I said we do internet, television, and radio. She said, okay. okay. So see, that's actually what you wrote on the form: TV station. Uh, well, okay, that's not what I said, <laughs> but okay, I'm going to go with that. So according to my county's tax assessor, uh, we're a TV station. Oh, great. Now, the next thing, FCC is going to be banging down <laughs> <Yeah>. the door. <laughs> and so, then, you guys just thought you'd up and start a TV station, huh? <laughs> so, then I went to the, the bank and was setting up a new account there and getting that all ready to go. Had a, almost exactly the same conversation. You know, it's like, Opie? What is Opie? Really? Said, yeah, like Opie Taylor. Are you sure you want to name your company that? That's what exactly what she asked me. Um, well, the funny thing is they make they have this big book. Now I'm sure at at more modern uh, industrial urban places it would be on a computer somewhere, but in in the county where I live and and where the business is is founded, it's a book on the desk, and you have to flip through the book to make sure sure nobody's using your name. And I was like, trust me, lady, nobody's using this name. See, well, right. you, you still got to go look through the book. No, really. Nobody's using this name. I promise you. I'm not going to fill this out until you go look through the book. So I had to go look through the book. And what do you know? There wasn't anybody using this name. Yeah. I, I thought that was kind of why we went with that name. Right. <laughs> that and the, the domain was available. Uh, right. But it, it was just kind of interesting. But we are now an official entity. Uh, up until then, it had just been sort of Mark and Sean. But now we have we actually have a business with, with uh, checks and everything. Now, if we just had some money coming in, that would be awesome. Right. So, so the book, yeah. So the domain name worldwide, you know, and everybody knows right. how hard it is to get domain names. And yet we had, we were able to get that domain, but it might be taken in this leather bound book out in the country right. somewhere. Right. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to jump in here with something serious, and I'm going to keep it short and sweet. But uh, Joe Paterno died this this past week, or maybe it was over the weekend. Uh, yeah, it was just yesterday. Yeah, and uh, uh, the only reason I'm going to jump in on this and throw my two cents out there is the overwhelming vitriol that had has been spewed out there on Facebook. I mean, that's where I noticed it at least. Uh, people were just like, you know, good child molester deserves to go to hell and yeah. all this kind of stuff. And uh, I, I rarely respond to people who are making statements out on Facebook, but uh, I just had to. Uh, and, you know, it was a very basic response, but it was, I thought we, you know, it, so often things go this way. And, and my response is always the same. I thought we had a legal system that was designed to to medi all this right. stuff out. The whole you innocent know. until proven guilty thing. Right. And uh, so, it, you know, there was an upside to it is uh, I, I knew some of the basic facts of the case. But, man, today I went crazy looking into that case uh, because, I you know, what what people were saying and how, how much they were basically crucifying Joe Paterno uh, – the the facts just aren't there strong enough i mean certainly uh he at the very least probably didn't handle the the situation right. perfectly but uh you know even with what was was uh presented you know and there were grand jury indictments and things like that uh he's he's the one guy that wasn't charged with anything yeah. uh and, and it, he, it bothered me that all the news Articles I read led with fired coach Joe Paterno dies at 83 or whatever it was. And uh, I just I, I know that in the passage of time, the man that he was, the coach that he was, this is going to be a footnote in the almanac of his career. But right, right. now we're really focusing on that. And and what yeah, what you're saying is everything that came out anyway, we don't we weren't in the courtroom. So everything that came out is the his biggest uh crime and it, it was a crime was that he he looked the other way you know he, he wasn't necessarily uh 
proactive or active in any way, but he was complicit by by remaining silent. Well, yeah, but you know, even that, I mean, is a stretch because he notified his athletic director and the man who oversaw the campus police department. So a lot of what I was seeing was that he's he's bound as a teacher and an educator to to notify uh, the authorities about uh, this behavior and stuff. And I mean, I don't know. That's what one more step I need to look into is how it works in Pennsylvania. But I know down here in Texas, if you notify the head of the campus police department, that is a law enforcement agency. It is duly authorized law enforcement agency, just the same as any other law enforcement agency in the state. So even that doesn't really hold water. Now, you certainly can debate, you know, did he do enough? You know, should he have gone further or whatever? And I think that's hard to say without knowing all of the explicit facts of what exactly happened in that situation, what was said in those rooms and things like that. Um, Now, I'm not here to necessarily say, you know, he was a saint in that situation or maybe he he was absolutely wrong. But. There's a lot of facts that have not come out yet, and I think, you know, it, it just irks me to no end when people jump to conclusions like that when they, ha- they have not near all the facts at hand. Agreed. But that's what we do. You know, that's what, that's what we <laughs> Americans are good at is jumping to conclusions without any facts. So, on to, I, I guess, I, you know what, I put like nothing in the real meat of the show, but I've got all kinds of warm-up items. Uh, you're going to like this one, Mark. So uh, I have a teacher. She's complaining about a yellow monitor. Okay. And this is probably about a week ago. And I've been busy with all this other stuff going on, this project-based learning and whatnot. And, uh, but I go, I check out her yellow monitor. And, you know, I, I check the basic stuff, right? Like, um, obviously, the VGA cable. You know, that's so often the VGA cable is just not quite all, all the way in or something like that. So very basic tech troubleshooting, right? And no, that's good to go. I try it on another computer. Same thing. Um, I do remember going into the settings and looking at it and, you know, to see if maybe uh, it was a teacher's computer, but maybe that somebody messed around with the, the settings on the monitor or something. Can't find anything. So I finally, I put it on another computer in her classroom so that at least she has a, a good, you know, solid monitor. And then I'm like, that's all I've got time to do right now. I'll come back later on with another monitor. We've got a warehouse full of them and uh, uh, get her set up. Well, she responds to my trouble ticket today and puts in there. She says, don't worry about it. One of my students fixed it. Nice. And it's, this is a fifth grade classroom. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Sean, are you smarter than a fifth grader? You know, I don't know, but I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to that classroom. I'm going to find that student. I want to know what he did. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I have no problems poking a little fun at myself. Uh, so, yeah, I, I may not be smarter than a fifth grader. That's funny. I often have something that that happened as teacher will say, hey, you know, I, I tried to get one of my students to fix it, but it got worse. Uh, well, yes, that's because you trusted a seven-year-old to do your work. Well, and, you know, my first thought, and, of course, this is probably middle school thinking, you know, once you've taught in, like, middle school or high school, your mind would automatically jump to this, is, sure, he fixed it, because he's probably the one right. that did so, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, exactly right. He knew exactly how to undo what he had done in the first place. Right, right. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe that's filtering down to the fifth grade level at this point. I haven't had any experience with it before this. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to hunt him down and find out exactly what he did. OK, so on to the topic at hand. Uh, last week, Apple um, in their spring or well, it's not spring, it's winter, I guess, press event. Um, made a you know you know usual spate of announcements, but two things that sort of got people's attentions, uh, attentions, attention, Jeez. and um, w- the biggest one was uh, the new version of iBooks, iBooks two, um, and you know iBooks is part uh, is an application that comes on an iPad uh, or and you can install it on an iPhone, and it's a uh, an interactive. Uh, reader, it's not terribly interactive, but iBooks too has made it a lot more interactive. You can uh, embed uh, video files and that sort of stuff. They've also introduced um, I- iAuthor. Uh, it's called uh, iBooks Author, 
uh, Mac only, of course, uh, that allows you to create these tools. Uh, and so there's the idea there that uh, they're going to turn the textbook industry on its head, and and they are going to distribute textbooks at uh, five bucks a piece or something like that, and they're going to change uh, the way up, we do it. I know it's up, like, uh, up to like fourteen ninety nine right, a piece, up to but 15, a, a right. fraction of what schools pay right. for textbooks. Uh, and that they're going to, you know, you're going to have all, all this wonderful embeddable content and, and it'll be a, a rich learning experience. And, you know, I have some issues with that. Um, the, the, well, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and go there. Uh, the, just because it's shinier doesn't make it better. We're, we're putting the same content, right? It's the same content that was in the textbook, just in a better way. In fact, I, I don't have a link to it, but I will find it. Uh, for the show, uh, Dr. David Thornburg, who we had on our show uh, back in the summer, uh, created a, 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 wrote an article entitled Why Apple is Trying to Kill Education. And he talked about how we're just taking the same content from Pearson and from, uh, from other companies like that, and we're just finding new ways to package the exact same stuff and calling it revolutionary. It's not revolutionary. It's the same content, prettier. And if you, and he, that's his, that's not my words, his words, his, his words, uh, paraphrasing, of course, are that if you want to be revolutionary, do something new. Let students create content. Let them write their own textbooks. Stop, stop forcing them to read stuff that was obsolete 10 years ago when it was first printed that we keep repackaging. Uh, but my issue that I want to take today is, is really with the licensing part. And there's a great article on uh, ZDNet where a guy uh, takes apart the end-user license uh, for uh, the new iBooks. And he, the title of that article is Apple's Mind-Bogglingly Greedy and Evil License Agreement. Okay, that's a big deal. That's a, that's a good article, by the way. I, I, you know, the link to it will be in our show notes up on our site. I highly encourage people to go read it because uh, it's pretty good stuff. Right. Now, let's talk a little bit about the fact that it's Apple-centric. All, right, all of this stuff is Apple-centric. So let's say that school district A adopts textbooks made by, you know, in iBooks 2. The only thing you can view this on is an Apple product. So the, it's the most expensive tablet on the market and always will be most likely um, is what you have to do. So now instead of textbooks, instead of say a hundred dollar textbook, I don't know how much textbook costs. I'm going to say it's a hundred dollars. We're going to give every student a $500 tablet and a $15 textbook and call it saving money. Now let's say that student has five classes a day. It's a break even at best, right? So $500 textbooks, and a, and a $500 tablet, the worst case scenario, you're looking at a break-even, or best case scenario, really. Um, but it's it's one of those things, it's, it's going to force people, if they do this, and, and I don't think that lots of schools are going to be adopting it en masse, but if they do, they are committing themselves to a lifetime of only using the most expensive product available on the market. And I, I think that's problematic. But what this article goes into is on the content creator side of it. Apple says, basically, I'm again, I'm super paraphrasing here, that if you create a textbook using the new I, iBooks Author 2, you can only sell it in the Apple market. Once you submit it to them, or, or rather, once you create it in their content, you cannot sell it anywhere else. You cannot export to any other format. It, you can only export it to the iBooks thing now the the or words, pdf format but you still can't resell that right well the pdf though loses a lot of the formatting so yeah the words are there but the formatting the table of contents the charts the graphs all the stuff that make a book hard to write you know it uh, that's why you know um textbooks take three years it's not to get the words on a page it's to get it formatted and indexed and readable and all that sort of stuff well you can do a, a plain text export where you lose all of that and essentially start all over again. But if you once you put it in their iBooks uh, author, I, I don't want to choose my words carefully. It, it not it's not that it belongs to them, but you but they're the only people who can sell it from that point on. And you have to do all this work, put it in the market, 
then they decide whether or not they're going to sell it. So Apple looks at your work that took you eight months to put together and says, eh, I don't like it. We're not going to publish it. Now, we're not going to publish it, and you can't publish it anywhere else. So, And the license agreement actually says that uh, you may not offer it for sale. You can offer it for free, but you may not offer it for sale anywhere else ever if you created using iBooks author. Wow. Yeah. Again, I got to, I got to encourage people to go read the article by Ed Baugh at ZDNet. Uh, it's, uh, it, cause he makes a good point is that this is akin to Microsoft saying anything that you create in Microsoft word, you can't go out and ever sell it. So if you, again, if you wrote, wrote a book and you use Microsoft word to, to write that book that you can't go out and sell it. Uh, or, Another Apple product, which Apple doesn't do it with this product, but uh, if you're a band and you created music using GarageBand, that you can only sell that on iTunes. Right. So, uh, you know, if, if you really think of it in those terms, I mean, it's just, it's outrageous. Let me read to you the actual words in the license agreement. If your work is provided for a fee including as a part of any subscription-based product or service. You may only distribute the work through Apple, and such distribution is subject to the following limitations and conditions. A, you will be required to enter into a separate written agreement with Apple or an Apple affiliate subsidiary before any commercial distribution of your work may take place. Okay, so if you want to sell it anywhere else, you got to ask them permission. And B, Apple may be determined for any reason and in its sole discretion not to select your work for distribution. Wow. And in the next paragraph, Apple will not be responsible for any cost, expenses, damage, losses, including without limitation to lost business opportunities or lost profits or other liabilities you may incur as a result of your use of this Apple software, including without limitation the fact that your work may not be selected for distribution by Apple. Now, that's legal speak. For if you write it in our software, you can only sell it through us. And if we decide not to do it, tough noogies. Well, and not only this, Mark, but what I what I hear there is that if there, you know, if any liability arises, let's say you get sued or you know for for any reason, that that all falls on your shoulders. So they're happy to take part of the profits, but. They're 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 not going to stand up there with you and uh, you know stand in court with you if you if you get sued over it. Right. So quoting Ed Bot here, the nightmare scenario under this agreement, you create a great work of staggering literary genius that you think you can sell for five or ten bucks per copy. You craft it carefully in iBooks Author. You submit it to Apple. They reject it. Under this license agreement, you're out of luck. They won't sell it, and you can't legally sell it as elsewhere. You can give it away, but you can't sell it. Wow. And again, let's make this specification that you can dump the text out and redo all the formatting. But in terms of the actual work that you created, they don't claim ownership of it, but they do claim sole right of distributorship, which is amazing. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, if you're a content creator, if you're any kind of an author at all, I can't imagine why you would want to use this. You know, it's just outrageous. I mean, surely they have some sort of word processor that you know, you could, you'd rather use. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and then the question is, um, most states, maybe all states, but I'm not going to say all states because I don't know, uh, have rules about what is or is not acceptable. So let's say that what Apple approves is not accepted by the state of Texas. I can't sell it in Texas and I can't sell it through, you know, anywhere else. But And so the, you've got those things there, and there's no pre-approval. There's no way to say, um, you know, create something, show it to somebody, let them approve it, because the only way that anybody can ever see it is through iTunes. So it, you're really in a, a tough situation there as a content creator. Right. And, yeah, and, I mean, just think of, I mean, that nightmare, you know, what's what that's going to cause. I mean, uh States are already, uh, you know, I'm wondering if states are even going to be on board with this. I mean, the state has to allocate resources just to, in the approval process. So, uh, you know, if they're already, they're going to have to continue approving 
you know, physical books, you know, and uh, from publishers, they're going to have to go through that because not every school can afford an iPad for everybody. Uh, so, you know, is the state even going to be willing to review all of these other digital formats, uh, you know, that Apple is putting out there? Uh, so, you know, I guess the best thing I can say is before, and I already see schools who and, you know, they can't wait and everything else, but before you go and rush off to buy all your iPads, you know, is that content going to be there? Is it going to be approved? Um, I don't know. Yeah. And, and so the issue there is Apple is selling this. Their, their press is that it's a great democratization of content creation. Now, anybody, who owns a Mac can create content and, and sell it on our network uh, to anybody if we say so. And it's, we've completely revolutionized education because we've democratized things. There's a lot of gotchas and parentheses in there. Um, you know, Apple has been famous for a while now in saying that, you know, anything that goes on an iPad or an iPhone or, or any iOS device can only be created on a Mac. But I think when you, when you say things like that, that you can only do it on our elite expensive hardware and we're democratizing uh, content creation, you're kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth there. Now I've talked, yeah. I've read a couple of teacher blogs uh, and got and Like I said, we did try to get a teacher uh, on and it just didn't work out schedule wise, but some of these teachers who have actually tried to go in and, and create some works and p- play with it a little bit have been fairly underwhelmed with this great revolutionary interface saying that it's a little buggy. There's no obvious uh, interface. You're not sure what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to tap and hold here, or you're supposed to uh, swipe with two fingers here, but you don't really know that until you do it. Uh, so it's sort of the, the bumble around method of, of uh, interface design. Now I fully believe Apple will fix that. They have proven in the past. They are good at interface and they will fix that. And I think they'll probably fix the licensing issues too, but maybe not. They also are known for standing their ground on some rather draconian things. Yeah, you know, what concerns me is they are partnering with, uh, I guess it's possibly the top three textbook publishers, at least in the United States. Um, You know, and I'm wondering what's going on there because I haven't heard a whole lot on that side of the story. You know, are those publishers uh, somehow have they entered into like a non-compete agreement? So, you know, is Apple essentially cornering the textbook market? And if so, I, I, I think that's a huge problem. And I'm not hearing a whole lot on that side of the story yet. Yeah. So, you know, just to recap, in terms of iBooks, I have two issues. One is that they're saying they're, uh, the exact quote from Apple is that we're going to reinvent the school textbook. I don't know about that. It's the same content, just in a new delivery method. I don't know that you can call that reinventing. Um, but and, and the second one is that they're claiming ownership of your content, and that's, <laughs> that's really scary. Uh, what's interesting is they talk in some places about uh, students creating their own work. And and that's great, you know. The the that is democratizing when you can when students can create their own uh, textbooks for a class they're doing. But what are they going to do with it then? They're just going to have to hope that they meet Apple's. Th- I mean, they can't even share it with their parents um, if Apple chooses not to publish it. Right. Yeah, unless they give it away. Yeah, uh, and then well, again, only if they choose to publish it. Even if you give it away for free, Apple may not choose to publish it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, uh, and, and uh, again, I just I've I've always seen Apple as a company that almost promotes class division, <laughs> you know, in their practices, and it, that's fundamentally why I've I've had a problem with shoehorning their products into the educational process. But uh, this this is just you know another iteration of that. So I mean, are we you know we're going to have like primarily wealthy private schools that are going to be loaded up with iPads and these cool, great interactive uh, textbooks. Um, meanwhile, maybe the, you know, the small public school can't even get the newest textbooks because it only comes in Apple format. And, 
you know, so they're using some edition from 15 years ago. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know, but I, <laughs> I, I'd like to think that won't happen, but, uh, you know, again, it gets back to that whole, you know, if they have any sort of a non-compete agreement or something like that, if, if Apple's, you know, wrangled these major publishers in, uh, that could be pretty scary stuff. Yeah, I, I worry about the possibility of monopolizing that. You know, if uh, if these people decide they're only going to produce, they're not going to produce paper textbooks anymore. So I, I hope not. I think that they will recognize their business model is better served if they don't do that. But it kind of scares me because, uh, you know, with iTunes, uh, Apple changed the entire music industry and changed the way they did things. And with the iPhone, right. they changed the cell phone industry and changed the way they did things. So I'm afraid that they might be changing the textbook industry in not the right way. The textbook industry needs to be changed. There's there's definitely yes. uh, room there for improvement. But that that the I'm just not sure that the Apple way is the way I want it to go. Yeah, and I saw a lot of comments today, you know, in looking through the stories regarding this, and a lot of comments. Again, it's funny how Apple gets, uh, you know, attributed with things that they just haven't done. But you know, it's time that Apple finally, you know, it's great that Apple finally is bringing digital textbooks to the classroom and everything else. And uh, like, you know, people are already buying into the fact that there were no digital textbooks before this point. Right. Just like there were no smartphones before the iPhone. Right. So uh, I'm already seeing those comments and people just, you know, blindly buy into this stuff. There have been digital textbooks around for quite a while now. Uh, Mark, I know you, we both, um, put digital textbooks in the classroom. We distributed them on computers uh, and they were really cool. I mean, <laughs> they, they still had the interactivity that, you know, you, you were reading through, a, uh, you know, a chapter and it had links where you could get, you know, click out to uh, other authoritative articles on the internet and had uh, embedded videos and things like that. So there, that technology uh, Apple did not invent, not anywhere close. And it's been around for a while. Uh, now again, what Apple's going to do and what they've done in the past is they, they've just, you know, brought the 800 pound gorilla to, uh, you know, getting it out there and consolidating the effort, uh, which they do a very good job of, and they get a lot of, buy, a, a lot of buy-in. And, uh, so that can be a good thing. Uh, but gosh, I hope that there's some sort of legitimate competition, which right now I don't know who that would be. Yeah, I mean, other than you could say Android is could be the device, but there's not any distribution network there. There's not there's not an um, iTunes sort of uh, network. You know, you could say the Android market, but that's so uh, fragmented. You've got the you know the Amazon market and the and and you're right. There's not really a clear competitor, um, which you know is a little it's it's disconcerting to me. I, I'm excited about changing the way we do things. But what I'm concerned with is calling a spit polish a change. <laughs> that And for what I'm seeing so far, it's just spit polish. It's not real change. And then I'm that's concerned a, about the right way to do it. That's a very thin layer of spit polish on a turd. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next part of that same announcement is that uh, Apple has decided to allow K-12 schools into iTunes U. Uh, iTunes U is a great thing. Um, lots of great college stuff out there, lots of, of great uh, content, uh, all upper level right now. There's not any uh, K-12 stuff. So we're fixing that now. Now it's uh, um, available to K-12. So a student, it's, it's sort of uh, like a content management uh, uh, or a classroom management system, sort of. Uh, teachers will be able to create their own class. They'll be able to put a syllabus up there. They'll be able to update their uh, uh hours of availability and put assignments there all right there in iTunes U. In other words, everything you've been able to do in a Moodle for the last eight years. Yeah. Uh, and it's revolutionary. It's, I, I do have to jump in. Yeah, it's certainly not revolutionary, but um, I looked at iTunes U uh, for, well, now your district, Mark, a couple years ago, and I didn't realize when I first started looking at it that it was only for university level. And, uh, but it was, you know, it seemed really cool. Um, 
got a lot of good content up there. And, uh, you know, so I, I really liked it. I still like it. Uh, this is something that, you know, I don't necessarily have anything bad to say about. I'm, I'm, you know, the only thing that I would have to say is, you know, why did it take them so long to open it up to K-12? Uh, but other than that, I mean, you know, it's another, it's another alternative. I'm curious to see, like, you know, does it uh, have any kind of special integration with Apple products? So if you are an Apple-based school, uh, you know, is it possibly a better alternative for you? I don't know. Um, so, you know, I'm not all about the Apple bashing because right. uh, iTunes U is a good thing. If you're already immersed in the Apple environment, I, I could see it would probably be a pretty good thing. But one of my favorite lines here uh, in the news release is that t- – uh, where to go? iTunes U app now allows on-demand streaming of any available lecture. No more need to download and sync it if you don't want to. Now, I would like to add in there, now allows online streaming of any non-Flash-based <laughs> lecture. <laughs> so all those HTML5 and, and I don't know, maybe QuickTime videos out there, if, if you happen to use Flash like, oh, everybody does, you're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, but you know, I think uh, since uh, the schools are the ones that are generating most of that content, um, and you know, so many of them having Apple products, I don't know that that's going to be a problem. But I, you know, when I look at these kind of things, anyways, uh, I, I think of them as uh, you, you're never going to have just one. So, you know, iTunes U is just, you know, another resource. And I think anybody in education should have, you know, a, a wide wealth of resources that they use. So, you know, take a look at it and see if it's, uh, if it's something that's going to work for you. Right. And so that's our uh, admittedly somewhat rambling uh, approach to, to, to what Apple has decided to do with education. And, and I believe in Apple as a company in their ability to get things right um, and really refine things and, and do things really well. And so I think that these tools will probably be pretty amazing at, at some point, but they will also always be very self-selecting. There's only going to be an elite group of people, you know, uh, Sean, your school will be all over it. My school will yeah. never likely ever be able to do it. Yeah, I'm sure like two years from now we'll be doing some uh, pilot iPad one to one rollout and you know with the whole textbook thing and you know um and you know if you've got the money and you can do that then that's great but you're going to be a very small minority and what I'm concerned about is is the other masses that you know not only might not have the accessibility to this technology but this may actually damage the access they have uh, you know, up to this point. Right. So I, we want to hear what you think. If you are gung ho pro Apple and you think that this is the greatest thing ever, if you have, if you're a content author and you have a different take on this, let us know. Uh, we'll get you on the show and, and we'll talk about it and, and we will even be nice to you. Uh, but, but let us know in the, in the, you know, comments or, or email or forum post or whatever, or, but just, I, I'm interested. Um, the the tight we we sort of gave the tightwad point of view here, uh, but I'm sure that there are other people who are going to have a different point of view. We just couldn't get any of them to come on the show, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it wasn't. We did offer the uh, uh, try to offer the opportunity for equal time, but it doesn't didn't work out. Uh, so but unless you have anything more to say to that, Sean, I will move on to our tips of the week. Sounds good. Let's do it. Okay, and so for my tech tip this week um, is something that I found. Uh, via Google Plus, I can't remember who it was, but it's a website called Morgue File, M-O-R-G-U-E, like dead bodies. I don't get it. Morgfile.com. It is a place where you can um, publish and um, discover copyright-free um, stock photos. So they have a lot of categories that you can browse through and you can you can sort by size or, or um, how create you know whether it's a creativity creative thing or just a documentation thing you can uh, there's even a thing for geotagging if you want to find things for a, a local um, specific location but they're they're all really high quality high res uh, photos that are creative Commons license that you can use uh, for anything for any reason Um 
and they've got some things broken down specifically for education related and so forth. But uh, just check it out, morguefile.com. If you uh, are uh, doing a presentation or writing a writing a, t- uh, a book in iBooks author and you need some uh, photo <laughs> content, uh, morguefile.com. Yeah, uh, you know, Mark, I was just looking at this. kind of has an interesting little uh, twist on it. People can request photos and, like, offer to pay a certain dollar amount for that. Right. So that's kind of neat. That, you know, kind of spurs on, uh, you know, photographers or whatever, uh, image creators putting their stuff up there. So cool stuff. I don't really know that it's necessarily a tech tip, but it's a cool tip. So thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah. That, that works. Uh, well, the uh, teacher tip of the week is solarsystemscope.com. This website is, uh, I'm pretty sure it's flash-based, but uh, it, it's basically just a 3D model of the solar system, and you can kind of go uh, see it from different perspectives, and you can, uh, very much like a Google map, but if you can think about it in three dimensions, so you can zoom in and zoom out, and you can visit the different planets and go all the way around uh, those planets, and uh, you can chart distances and um, you know you can hover over a star and it'll tell you the name of that star and how many light years away it is and it's got this really cool sort of uh, uh, I don't know grand music uh, that's playing in the background Uh, it's just very cool I mean I know I say this for pretty much all of my teacher tips but uh, you know if you're doing a solar system section at all and you have the means to get students onto a computer uh, it's basically a manipulative of the solar system so and uh, that comes in in good time because uh, something I just forgot about until you mentioned it uh, or start mention this but uh, Google is killing the Google Sky project so the thing that we talked about just recently, uh, uh, you your kids using at your school there, the the Google Map project, but for the sky, uh, they've decided to kill that project. I don't know if anybody's going to be picking it up or not, but uh, um, it's soon to be at least no longer in Google, if no longer at all. Right. Right. So, yeah, this is just uh, something to check out. It's it's very simple to operate. Uh, you know, you've got three different perspectives that you can choose as far as how you want to look at the solar system, you know, from Earth view or from a uh, sort of a helioscopic view, you know, looking down as if you were God sort of thing. Uh, but uh, uh, check it out. It's certainly worth taking a look at. Uh, like I said, if you've got a solar system uh, section that you're going to be doing soon, uh, you might want to include it. So solar system, solarsystemscope.com. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm playing with it as you're talking here. And you can select uh, like one planet and then select another planet, and it'll give you the distance between them. Right. Um, and, you know, all that sort of cool stuff. Uh, oh, I do want to throw doing? in, I, I want to throw in too that uh, these guys uh, that develop this, they do it in their free time, much like uh, me and Mark doing this podcast. Uh, but they are uh, doing a fundraiser. So they're, they're trying to raise enough money to where they can work on it full time for the 2012 year. Uh, so that they, you know, not only enhance this app, but come up with other ones. Their whole idea is they want to come up with cool stuff like this for education. So, uh, if you are the giving type, you might want to check it out and throw them a few, few bucks. Saturn is 10.42 astronomical units from earth. I know that now. Awesome. (laughs) I can run an astronomical unit in like, I don't know, 10, 11 seconds flat. Wow. That's impressive. All right. That brings us to the close of the show, I think. Uh, Any other comments, Sean? No. Well, I'll reserve my comments for later. The only one I have left. Well, (laughs) now's the time. Well, actually, I will will go ahead and and I talked earlier about contacting us, letting us know. Uh, The place you can do that is at that website that the people at my county tax office don't understand, uh, elementop.com. And it was so funny, I had to explain it. It's like it's it's like a play on words, L M N O P, but it's Element Opie. It's supposed to be funny and memorable. And it's like Opie Taylor, and they all just kinda went Right. Yeah. Fill out this yeah. form. It's instead it makes people look at you like they have indigestion. <laughs> <laughs> I just recently bought some new Element Opie swag to wear to uh, the T C E A conference coming up in a couple of weeks. So I uh, I'll be wearing our brand proudly 
Um, but if you want to find out more about us or uh, contact us or read us the riot act or, or anything uh, along those lines, or if you just want to uh, leave a post in our awesome bacon forum, you can do that at elementopi.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, also element OP. Give us a voicemail. Give us a call uh, for uh, U.S., continental U.S. and I think Canada only. Uh, you can call us at 559-IMOP uh, and uh, let us know what you think. Yeah, and I want to jump in here and say, uh, because they've been lining up, finally, you know, we begged for listener spotlights for so long, and now I actually have them, uh, you know, uh, somewhat set up in advance. So uh, if you are a listener out there and you're interested in getting lined up to do a listener spotlight show, uh, send me an email at sean at elementop.com. And you can also use that same email. email address to uh, yell at him about uh, anything he said on the periodic table recently regarding Marines and, and where they choose to urinate uh, uh, or anything else. I might have offended uh, <laughs> any liberals or Apple owners. I think pretty much will cover all, all of my haters. Having said that, I will say go to elementopi.com. Check out some of our other shows. If you're just a tightwad tech listener, go check them out. Every show that comes out goes right there on, on the webpage with a play button. You don't have to subscribe. There's It's a whole try before you buy, and when you buy, that's free too. Uh, you can just click play and give it a listen, and uh, we've got some cool stuff out there, and uh, I hope you'll check it out all at elementopi.com. Yeah, I want to say the uh, the periodic table is, is a good one because if you haven't listened to that, you know, all of our other shows are somewhat professional, uh, you know, or, you know, somewhat. Sorry. Or straightforward, you know, it's, they've got a, a, a topic and, you know, we try to be serious about it, uh, like you said, somewhat. Uh, but the periodic table is the, the hosts, co-hosts of the Element OP network, uh, unfiltered. Yeah, see, my view for that originally was that it would be, um, you know, sort of a news of the week. The, what I told everybody, what I pissed you was, is the subject is this week. We're going to talk about stuff that happened this week. Let's face it, I was ripping off Leo Laporte's twit entirely. It was just, it was all of us getting together. It was an opportunity stuff in for... the world or in our personal lives or whatever. Right. But it, yeah. was, it was an opportunity for you to get to know the hosts of our shows. We, we now have uh, several of them outside of their natural environment. But what it has turned into is a competition to see who can make the others laugh the hardest. Right, or come up with the most disgusting story. <laughs> so it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, so uh, don't listen if you're easily offended, or actually do listen if you're easily offended, and then call us and tell us how offended you were, and then we will laugh at you on the next show. <laughs> right. If you listen to that show, you're probably going to end up with my email address like emblazoned on the screen. <laughs> <of the> so. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's time for me to say this was a great show. All right. Well, thank you, Sean. Having received your approval, it is simply time to say that this is Mark signing off. And Sean signing off.